Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Vault of the Incarnates raid in World of Warcraft. Before we do that, Buddy, most of the folks at home, what it is we do on this podcast. On this <laughs> podcast, we take a break from our regularly scheduled Fast and the Furious content, okay, from our video game movies content, uh, to instead cover... World of Warcraft content. So with the patch looming, breathing down our necks. Okay, next week is the 10.1 patch um, called something that I don't remember. Uh, Embers of Neltharian is what it's called. Um, our raid team made our big final push to get ahead of the curve, defeat Heroic Razageth. We were, in fact, able to do so um, last week, even as we cast dispersions on our own raid's ability to complete this raid. I said it was probably the hardest raid since um, since Azshara. Uh, and then on Tuesday night, you know, we mopped Razageth up with 30, 30 minutes left on the clock. I sort of couldn't believe it, uh, but that leaves us in this position where we can give our, give our review. Of, of the raid, Vault of the Incarnates. We've been doing this for a while. Yeah. How did you feel? Yeah, well, let's let's start with the Razgith stuff, I guess, just because we, we did talk about it at the end of last week, and then we <coughs> we surprised even ourselves, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we just kind of got into it, and we, like, really just kind of, like, kept making continuous progress throughout the night and hit it about, like you said, like, about a half hour, and that was, like, super, I was super happy about that. I don't, I don't know what clicked there. Maybe it was just, like, all of us were there, right? Like, all of the high performers were kind of there, Yep. And yeah, we had two guest stars, uh, Merak and uh, Anarial, Merak and Q, right? Um, who were longtime raiders with us last, last expansion. They moved on to a different raid group, but came back after getting their AOTC, um, yeah. I think the Friday before, right? Um, I didn't realize that, but yeah. No, I mean, they were like, we also, um, uh, what, do we have any, do we have anybody? We, we had, essentially, we, it, it worked out, right? Like that, that's all I guess yeah. I can say about it, right? Is is it worked out? We managed to really pull it off. Um, everybody trying their hardest, I guess, and and it just worked. Um, uh, is there anything else you want to say about the, our, our particular run before we go boss by boss? I guess. You know, I don't know. Um, Razageth, Razageth is really interesting, and we can talk. Well, let's let's talk about Razageth at the end. Our particular run was actually kind of nuts, uh, but there was it, there came a point. Where I flipped, I was like, "We're like never getting this." To oh my god, we're gonna kill her tonight, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe my own just uh, my own perception of the of how difficult Razageth and the raid was 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 kind of off. Um, just because once we kind of got there, um, it 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 clicked so much so much easier than I expected it to. Yeah, I actually I want to check something real quick. It's because like I like I died like two minutes before we get we finished the kill, and I think I still like parsed pretty high, all things considered. Um, really? Yeah. That's incredible. You know, being two minutes down, right? One hundred and twenty. Yeah, may maybe I was wrong kind of about <laughs> wrong about what the exact thing was, but uh, you, no, it says it says that was a wipe. Um, let me see if I can figure. What did I, did I manage to not? Record. Did we not log our Radzageth kill? That would be so funny. Uh, that is weird because we like I I I was looking at it. It looks like maybe I I didn't. That that that's hold on one second. Let me let me let me, let me check. No, we definitely no 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 no. We have it. I have it. Okay. I'm looking at it here. Um, you parsed. 
Yeah, I mean, you you got a you got a green parse, thirty six percent. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, green's not great. What what was what was my parse by level? Because that's usually what I look uh, at. Uh, thirty six percent is was was by level. Okay. Never mind. I must have I must have been looking at one of the wipes because I guess I stopped recording parses at some point. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah. No. Uh. You know. Obviously, I wish I didn't. I hadn't died. But you know. Satisfied enough with it. I was also like optimized for multi-hit stuff, so we could get through the intermissions easily. But you know. yeah, that that part is the part that I actually find the most interesting. I think um, was like the little sort of kinds of optimizations that we that we sort of ended up ended up taking. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we will get back to that. But I think that this launched into a neat point. Is I like this raid because there's a lot of multi-target fights, which you know monks are historically much better at than their single-target stuff. So. I got to do some decent damage, right? Um, it was funny watching us progress through the fights because there were a lot of fights where, like, when we were starting to do them and we were, like, getting, like, we were not really plowing through the fights. Like, towards the end, we started plowing through some of those fights, right? Like, like early runs on Aranog, I did really well because I could line up four things to hit with flying guillotine, uh, guillotine, whereas, like, late fights, like, they would start dropping one by one and I wouldn't be able to get, like, the nice juicy combos off of them, which was much less satisfying. Um... But that kind of overall was like, you know, I got to do a lot of multi-target stuff, which felt really nice. Um, do you have also, yes, uh, new patch is next week, uh, Arahi in the chat. It is next fucking week. Get ready. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because I actually have an opposite experience, which is that I feel like the fights were mostly single target except for Council. Um, and so I felt like I was having a good time just sort of blasting... Um, a very single target focused arms build. I think arms is pretty well designed at the moment um, because there are two. Okay, this is maybe like a class design thing more than a boss design thing, but uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the arms tree is there are kind of two radically different builds um, depending on if you're going into AOE situations or if you're going into um, single target situations. If you're doing single target situations, you're very keyed into uh, mortal strike. You're trying to build up these mortal strikes or whatever and get all these resets on uh, on mortal strike. There are some... Uh, the Mortal strike itself has like a 25% chance to reset its own cooldown. <coughs> Um, and then also a filler ability overpower has a 35% chance to reset mortal strike. And so it is literally just try and get every mortal strike you possibly can, right? And this is, and this is for like single target builds. Um, for AOE, it's very built around Bladestorm, right? You are using anger management uh, in order to reduce the cooldown on Bladestorm and get these big, juicy, huge Bladestorms. Um, and then Bladestorm kind of amps your strength, it buffs your strength a whole bunch, and you use that for, like, big, huge uh, whirlwinds, and you kind of have this on-off thing of you're, you're dumping rage to build into your Bladestorm, your Bladestorm happens, you dump rage on big, high-damage AoE things with the strength buff, and then you're dumping rage to, to kind of reset the cooldown on Bladestorm. And those, those don't play extremely differently, um, but they play differently enough that, like, it really feels like I'm kind of accessing a new thing. And something that I was frustrated about in Shadowlands, right, and I talked about it in Shadowlands, was the way in which not having a tier set sort of locked down how your class played, right? Um, 
every patch of Shadowlands, I basically played the exact same way, right? My rotation was the same. The talents I was taking were the same. The stuff I was looking to do with those talents was basically the same, right? Um, and one of the things that WoW had done traditionally to sort of fix that issue was between patches, you would get a tier set and the tier set would emphasize different parts of your kit. And when it did that, it changed up your build. And you were, you were still approaching the fundamentals of your class, but the details were different. And that was very fun. That was very exciting, right? Um, when, uh, when tier sets were kind of around versus when they, when they sort of left off. Um, now, because of the way the talents work, I kind of have that experience inside of a patch itself. Because when I'm doing dungeons, I'm using one spec right? Um, when I'm doing raids, I'm using another spec. Um, and they, they're playing so so differently that I actually have like that sort of varied game experience from the get-go, which, kind of, which is kind of neat and kind of fun. Um, but for, for me, I was just happy to stick on bosses, right? I basically never wanted to touch an ad, to be honest with you. And most of the time, I just didn't. I just stayed on the boss and I cleaved on to an ad maybe, but that was like the best you would get out of me. So, so just, just to your point about like, I think one this this fight this this raid had more multi-target options, right? Like mm. I'll grant you that. Um, and two, um, when I said it had, I, what I mean is that it has more than a typical raid because typical raid you get like one, right? Like we, you know, I, I have felt like in the past that I have not had a ton of opportunity to like really do my multi-target stuff on most fights, and it just felt like by my count I had, you know, you know three and two halves to four four and a half opportunities to do um, multi-target, like Aranog, I was a multi-target spec. Council, I was a multi-target spec. Um, in... Dathia, uh, maybe? Uh, so Dathia, Dathia, I was in like a, in my world spec, which is hybrid, um, because I wanted the multi-target stuff for the launches. Um, and, uh, what's it, uh, Broodkeeper. Broodkeeper was, I mean, and that, that was like very, you know, what's, what's the word, um, two-sided, um, uh, yeah, dude, because that that that's maybe uh, yeah. emblematic, right? Because of the way that Birdkeeper kind of has two teams, one of which is doing AOE yeah. and one of which is single target. Yeah. Um, and then um, on Razgef, like I said earlier, I was in multi-target spec to deal with the intermissions, which maybe wasn't strictly necessary, but like I at least got to flex. Like I don't know if you remember, but like on our early normal clears, I was like I would like pop up to the top of the DPS charts and then like slowly fall down as the fight went on, just because I was able to like wipe out so much stuff, which like always feels good. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually, this is not, like, the wisdom that most people will ever live by, because pe there's almost a, a prisoner's dilemma to raiding, where people don't think about raid, you know what I mean? It's not like, it, it's very uncommon for you to get a directive from a raid leader that says, I want you and you in your multi-target specs, because there's a little bit of ad stuff and I want to make sure that we have big pumpers for the ad phases, but everyone else is doing single target, right? Normally what happens is you go online, you read your guide, and the guide tells you, oh, for this fight, you should run single target, right? And because everyone is sort of getting that information themselves, right? Um, and there isn't that kind of directive coming, you know, like coming down, um, 
it creates this situation where there are raid fights where ads will pop up and it actually takes them a while to go down. And it's like, man, honestly, two people should have just taken like the overall DPS hit, right? And specced into a multi-target thing, not for the purposes, you know, it's less overall DPS for the raid and probably makes the boss like lower or whatever, but it actually makes it easier to get through the boss because you're, you're you know, right. doing certain stuff at certain phases. And I actually think that that is the proper way to approach raiding. Um, which is why I sort of call that like almost like a prisoner's dilemma because it's kind of actually hurting the raid when everyone is sort of setting their own priorities based on what is going to get them, you know, whatever it is, like the best parse or whatever. Um, but I actually bet that it would have been much harder for us to get the Razageth kill if you had been in a single target spec. Yeah, I mean, or, um, there's even like little intangible things, right? Like it would have been much harder for us to get... <laughs> The Razia <laughs> if we didn't happen to have me and Mark throwing down Rings of Peace in the middle oh, of the, yeah, Rings in, of Peace. In the yep. second intermission, right? Which has nothing to do with our specs, right? Like, you know, it's a talent we have, we you know you have to take, but it's like not like it's like, you know, built the fighting or whatever, right? Like um But like But yeah, it's a, it's important utility, right? Yeah. No, but I I think you're yeah. absolutely right about that, right? Like there is there have been a couple of like um uh what's what's the what's the earth guy uh what's the um Taros? Not Taros, um Grim Grim Totem. Um, Kara, oh, Kara, sure. Kara Grim Totem, where, like, you know, I will, like, drop DPS to go run and stand in, like, a lightning spot or something, right? Like, it's like, you know, well, I guess I gotta do that, right? Like, you know, this was, this was also a thing that happened in, like, the one that comes to mind is, um, uh, Artificer inside of, um, Castle Nathria, where, like, you know, there were times where it was like, ah, oh, well, I guess I'm picking up the seed and, like, stopping DPS just to make sure, like, that the raid survives, right? Like, you know, even if it kills me, right? Like, um, yep. and, you know, like... I, uh, it is kind of a prisoner's dilemma thing, right? Like, it's like, you know, do, do I sacrifice my deeps? And um, it's it's even sadder just because, like, your your parse doesn't actually matter, right? Like, what matters is if you got the boss down or not, right? Like, no, I know. This is, this is the two-game theory, right? right? Um, a WoW designer who w would end up leaving WoW, I think he's, he's working at Riot now, had this thing where he talked about how there are really two games, right, that people are playing when they're when they're raiding. One, game number one, and the game that the, the Blizzard designs for is you and your friends are teaming up to kill a boss, right? Victory is the boss dies. Defeat is the boss lives, right? You wipe kind of thing. Um, and then there is the game of parsing, right? Where you are competing vaguely with other people of your spec class in the world in order to have a perfect performance, right? Um, and those are there are competing incentives there right um i remember one there was one of our castle nathrias where i actually i had been running seeds the whole time and i asked i was like hey can somebody else just run seeds for me once so that i can just get a good parse on this fight because i've been parsing green this whole time and everywhere else i have a legendary or a an epic parse right but i can't get a fucking good parse in this because i'm i'm running seeds right and that's a decision that gets made specifically because right i was looking to play game number two and not game right. number one if that makes sense yeah no i mean and par part of that is like you know individual accomplishment versus <coughs> like you know um and you know like i i even if you're not playing you know you yes we're all striving for like the highest parses but like you're also playing against yourself in some ways right like it's like you know it's like a time trial thing right like can you beat yourself um, which I think is important. But, yeah, no, I, I absolutely, absolutely agree with you on all this. But we should probably go through the bosses. Yeah, let's go through the specifics. So the first boss fight, you know, Aranog, um, Dragonkin, he sounds a lot like Garrosh. Uh, what were your what were your thoughts? Tell me tell me all of your thoughts uh, and feelings. Because the previous thing about, like, enjoying the multi-target stuff, like, th this was, like, a great... So first, 
Should we? I guess we should start with the dragons part, right? Like just be, like as an opening mechanic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fly like yeah. flying over things, so, shooting dragons. I love that yeah. shit. That was fun. The opening, the opening trash is not normal trash. You get on a dragon and you hit buttons and you kill the trash. Um, and you know this is funny because like yeah, you know yeah, it's kind of a gimme, but like it we got better at it as the raid went on, right? Like you know, um, we were clearing more and more of the trash with you know and not having to do like a fight or two, right? Which you know, and that's totally divorced from my level, so there's just kind of like raw experience, right? Like, you know. Um, so I thought that was I thought that was a good opener. It's a nice palette cleanser, it's fun, you don't have to like worry about like nonsense. Um, and Aaronog himself, um, like I said, because of the multi-target thing, I enjoyed those early pulls because it was like, oh, I can kill like the four ads at once with my flying guillotine. Um, and you know, and that feels good, right? Um otherwise, like, you know, I feel I feel like Aranog kind of fell out of my memory fast because like he was the one that we got on farm like like immediately right like I feel like even yep. when we started heroic we were, like weren't having too much trouble with him um and so kind of like the more different like um kind of the design of the of the strategy or like typical strategy is you rotate around the room that way you don't end up filling up the room um we we've been doing that since but like we probably don't need to cut like you know we probably could have just like gone buck wild with placing stuff on the floor and like wouldn't have mattered because we were like nailing him too so hard. Um, yeah, I mean, my favorite detail about Aranog is that you can DPS him in the. You know, he does this thing where there are fire elementals um, that spawn at the edge of the room, and there are big chains of fire between them. If you get hit by those chains, you get one shot, right? So what you have to do is you have to pick one of the fire elementals, kill it. It'll break the chain, and there's a little gap that you the whole raid can can run through or whatever. And while Aranog is doing this, he is channeling in the middle of the room, right? And the and the fire elementals are slowly walking towards him now. You, this is the kind of thing, it is a DPS check. You need a fixed amount of damage in order to kill that elemental before it is a danger for your raid. And you probably don't need your whole raid there. So the thing that we learned pretty quickly was, you know, if somebody wants to just fuck off and go DPS Aranog for that for the duration of that portion of the fight, you're probably still going to be fine. And that person was me. I did that every time, and it was really satisfying. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I would like... You know, monks have a nice mobility. I would like run back and do that too. It's like, oh, we broke it. Get to like get some hits in. <laughs> Killed me at least once, where I didn't pop out fast. Because um, yeah, like, yeah, but you know, still super fun. So, um, yeah, I think. Aaronog also had the had the fire ring. Did you care about the fire ring at all? The fire ring, which is which is this? So yeah, so uh, you know, in terms of loot, right? Oh um, oh, there oh oh, the loot piece. The, yeah. There's. A ring that like increases your DPS if you find a way to do some fire damage. Um, for a lot of classes, it was a best in slot ring just because you know that that extra fire damage is a little like up, up you know above the kind of over the top, right? Um, I don't know if that mattered for monks at all. Um, it vaguely mattered for me, but I never got the ring and I didn't really care about yeah, it. So. Yeah, it, uh, monks were basically in the same. Like we don't have like a native source of fire damage, but like we are melee fighters, so you can get like the you know the the cowl that like puts you on fire and then it makes it really good um but like that was one of those things like eh, i'll roll on the ring if i get it maybe i'll adjust my build but i never did and i didn't care enough to like really push for it so yep um, yeah. i feel you yeah you know as far as loot pinata bosses you know the you always start the raid off on, on one of these aranog is is fine um he doesn't remind me of any truly interesting or maybe the Terragru it was sort of the best of these right the Terragru was the first boss in Sanctum of Domination the Terragru was a great fight 
not just because of the powers, right, that you that you would end up picking up and being able to just like really do some insane pumping, right? But also because the Terra Gru had been a like an established piece of the world, right? Um, something that I think is interesting about WoW raid design has been their ability to sort of precede boss fights with like so you know who you're kind of walking in and fighting. Um, and uh, and we didn't really have that any of that kind of stuff with Aranog. Um, so he's just kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Right. Uh, the next boss that we would go to was Taros. Yeah, specifically. Yeah, we, we alternated week to week which side we went to, but like let's let's do that. Yeah, I have a complicated feeling, which is that I think Taros is sort of the most boring, but also the best fight in the in the raid. I think it is the most elegantly designed fight in the raid. Does that make sense? Um, I don't know if I agree with you, but I'll, I'll see what, like, I think there's something so, very satisfying about it, like a pure tank and spank, which is Aranog's pretty, or not Aranog, Taros is pretty close to, but like, I don't know if I'd call it particularly elegant. The thing, the thing that I think is really clever and unique is all of the positioning around the rocks in the room, right? Basically, you know, like from this point on, um... There are fights that are uh, themed to different elements, right? Because obviously, primalists are like returned to elements or whatever. Aranog is the fire elemental. Um, oh, we did get some establishment with Aranog. There was a quest line that set him up. You know what? Fair enough. Um, Taros is earth, and he's like he's making these earthen pillars and like hitting you with stuff. But the thing that I thought was so clever and really an interesting mechanic was putting the big circle on one person that the whole raid has to soak. And inside of that big circle, there are certain people who have little circles and those little circles are going to spawn pillars. And then the tanks need to aim a boss mechanic on those pillars, but they need to split the pillars up such that you only do half of the pillars at a time. Cause if you do all of the pillars in one tank shot, you're going to wipe the raid. Right. I think all of that is just really compelling sort of stuff. And insofar as, like, raiding is kind of, um, like, choreography, right? And you're, like, dancing. And you're, like, executing on a really complicated dance. The way in which you are implicitly communicating with people um, over the course of our Taros kills, right, um, was really satisfying to see, right? Where at first it was people didn't quite know what to do. They were really jumbled and the tanks couldn't figure it out right and then it was okay we're getting better at seeing one another with the circles and bunching up and going oh there's four people on this side two people on that side i'm gonna run so we get three and three right um and at the same time all of this is happening inside of the big you know like it there's something about taking the play space reducing it to a very small space and then saying there are specific people who are going to have to position in very specific ways in order to not wipe the raid and seeing us get good at that dance, not even explicitly, right? You know, we didn't over-design a solution for it. You just intuited the answer a lot of the time and kind of went, I'm going to go on this side. I'm going to go on that side. People kind of adjusted and you trusted the other people in the raid to adjust and the tanks were good about communicating. Oh, I'm going to get this side. I'm going to get that side. Um, and there's like other stuff happening too, obviously with like, you know, falling rocks and creating debris and where people are and all of this or whatever. But I just thought all of that was like, this is like peak raiding, right? Where, you know, the fight is complicated enough that it is, truly complex and skill testing um but it is also able to be sublimated after 
lots of pulls, right? And that progression of this is hard and we're fucking it up to we got it is really satisfying. I think that's probably the most satisfying thing about Raid, which is why that, that's my argument for Teros is the best design fight in this raid. I, I think there's an, another aspect to it too, which um, helps you like track that progress, which is um, essentially there's like a time limit. You've got four quarters of the room to fill up with like damage stuff. Um, yep. And you can tell how much you're improving based even post kill based on how like what quarter you kill him in, right? Um, and I think that, that that just kind of helps with that too, right? Like um, I don't know if I would most elegant. I might give you just because elegance is a slightly different kind of standard than you know most interesting or most fun. Um, but I, I can I can see where you're coming from. Um, uh, little things too, like you know. Some people in the raid were very concerned that we stand in the right place. So the the quarter the, the doesn't shoot in the right direction. I don't think it ever shot in the wrong direction once. So I don't know if those fears were overblown or not. But it was amusing to me, just like I'm sorry, the, the what shot in the wrong direction? So so when he after when he does this part where he like lays down the, the damaging ground on the ground um, that you have to run out of, um, there are people in the raid that were very insistent we stand in a certain spot when we weren't uh, doing mechanics because otherwise the it might, the the corner might shoot in the wrong direction. Um, stack on skull, as Lou puts it, um, uh, and we never had it shoot in the wrong direction. Maybe that was because we were good at adhering to stack on skull. I know that I was like not the strictest adherent to that, especially post that first quarter. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, uh, was that one person was marked with skull, and we were supposed to stack? No, on that no, person? no. Skull was like in front of him, so like it was a spot on the ground. That way. Um, Essentially, like, I don't know if this was, like, a random thing or whatever, but, like, if, if we spread out evenly around the boss, right, theoretically, he could shoot it in any of the four directions, right, and... Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yes, I do. I don't think that was a thing. I'm sorry, I thought you meant the... Like, because there's the yellow circles on the ground that come down, and then they spawn secondary yeah, circles. Yeah, you have to run out so, for, yeah. And yeah, and to be fair, I pitched a strategy that I used in another raid um, for that that was wrong. And I never actually explained why it was wrong. Like, this is the kind of thing. I I picked up the strategy from the other raid, and I just kind of repeated it verbatim. But then once I was the person in charge of that strategy, in a way, like I had sort of owned it, I was like, wait, this is ridiculous. We should not be running back. We should be running to the side. Because what you can do is you can paint around the the edge right if you hug that left side where um the edge of the 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 rock mud is right um he puts the the yellow there um and then you run to the left does it make sense uh and then you, and then he put that's where the the stuff goes and you go back to Right. Where, where he was in the beginning and you're fine yeah, yeah. um but you do that with 100 melee of time we i I just sort of started doing that at a certain point, and I never told anybody, and it always worked out and was fine, right? But we made a big deal. I made a big deal about running the this, this stuff back, so you're putting the goop out in range instead of in, yeah. in melee, which was not correct. I mean, it's it's it's, but that's like a minor optimization, right? Like towards the end, yeah. like after after that after the first quarter went down, it's be like you know go jump in the the bad and hold there for a couple seconds so it drops there, you know, all sort of strategy, right? Like. I don't think it was, yeah. like, a huge deal. But the thing I was talking about was, like, painting that, like, quarter down on the <laughs> ground, right? Like, people yeah. in, the raid were, yep. in our raid were very concerned about it going in the wrong direction. Um, and yeah, people definitely get really attached to certain mechanics. Um, 
And I have definitely seen where like little things will become like pet mechanics that people are like, it's not gonna wipe, it's not gonna wipe the rain, it's not gonna fucking matter, right? It really is not, is not an issue if on you know whatever. Um, uh, I don't know, I don't even know what a good version of this might be, but it's just like the, like very minor things, but people get really bent out of shape when the minor things aren't aren't going well, and I think that's just like the nature of the beast when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to the way, you know, Raid asks you to sort of um, adhere to the strategy. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, uh, this is a thing I've talked about, in like, in uh, uh, Payday 2, right? Like, it's like, you stick to the plan, and you do the plan, because otherwise things can get out of control. And I think, you know, there, there's an argument for, like, yeah. good, good discipline is a good habit to build, right? It's like, it doesn't matter for this mechanic, but it might matter for the next mechanic. And if you have, you know... If you're not in line, it might be an issue, right? That type of thing. Uh, yeah, there's sort of like a, it, it's almost it makes me it reminds me of like a uh, like an alignment chart, like lawful neutral, right? Like lawful neutral is you stick to the plan, even if the mechanic doesn't matter, you execute the mechanic. And chaotic is like, I'm not gonna, I don't care. Hey, I'm just chaotic neutral is healers adjust. No, that's maybe chaotic evil is healers adjust. <laughs> healers adjust. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <coughs> oh, Excuse me. I love that. Yeah. Meme. Anyway, it's a Final so, Fantasy XIV meme, right? The healers. <coughs> right? True. Um, yeah. So I, the, Taros. I think I probably agree with you. I, I don't think he's the best overall fight in the raid, but he is my uh, my pick for the most elegantly designed. I think he's just the best designed, just on a raw gameplay level. That boss is really really well designed. Um, the next boss is Senarth, um, Ice Spider. You're going up the. You're going up the thing. Um, I don't know. How did you feel about that, Senarth? Um, I thought Senarth was neat. Um, it's because it had a lot of opportunity for like fun little micro optimizations, right? Like the boss was moving, so it's like, oh, I need to make sure to place my, you know, my tiger statue a little bit ahead of where she's walking, and they'll get the full ticks yep. on it, right? Like, um, I need to, you know, save my touches of death for the big spiders. I need to really get good use out of my transcendence transfer by getting being able to keep up time, getting pulled off the edge, and popping back. Um, or, you know, other various things of that. Like, I need to, like, you know, it, it was it was a good fight for testing, like, kind of, like, all pieces of mastery, right? It's like, oh, I'm getting too many stacks. I need to, like, do something to clear them. I was able to clear it with Tigers last It's like, oh, this is a neat little trick, right? Like, um, all that combined with kind of, like, um, you know, the, the kind of, like, you know, you know, I was talking about, like, it feels good when you kind of, like, have like big markers of your progression on the fight. The big marker for Senarth yeah. is if you're killing her fast enough, she will zoom up to the top of the level. And we got that like once, like um, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "Yeah, baby, we're really doing it. We're really cranking on it, right?" Like that. That's all. That's always fun. And like, um, so at some points it felt a little hectic, right? Like there was a lot to keep track of um, on an individual level, but I still enjoyed the fight overall. I don't know if I really disliked any of the fights in this raid, but. Um, all right, I mean, yeah, I'll make the claim that Senarth, I think, is the worst fight in the raid. Mm. Um, not that I hate it. Right. I, you know, it's it's really tough to get me to really, like, hate a boss fight, right? You know, maybe Stone Legion Generals is the last boss, boss fight I really loathed. Um, certain people have certain, th you know, like, other people hated Fate Scribe. I personally really like Fate Scribe. Um, but, stuff, you know, like, there's stuff like that. For me, Senarth is just kind of boring. It's just kind of nothing. I yeah, I, I think it's the weakest thematically, yeah. definitely, right? Like, like the giant ice spider is the one that like makes the least sense to me. From like, like I know there are ice spiders yeah. out in the world, but like you know, <laughs> um, well, so the story of it is that Kurog is summoning these, right? He is summoning giant elementals. 
Um, Taros is great because of the trash in front of it, which sets it up, right? You have this dwarven shaman who is um, who is finishing the summoning on Taros to bring Taros, this massive earth elemental, into our plane, right? Um, but the rest of her shamans panic. She can't contain it or whatever, and Taros kills her, right? And it's just like, you don't need much more than that. That's all you need, right? In order to make that just on a, like a narrative level, somewhat satisfying because, you know, it's the story of a villain undone by their own hubris and it's not even inside of the boss fight. You just yeah. come in, you clean up Terrace and you move on basically, right? Senoth doesn't really have the dignity to give you that on a, on a story level. He just is there. It just is there, right? Um, there's a little bit of stuff, I think, with, um, you know, Malikos and... Um, Calico or sorry, sorry, Calicos and Cadgar. Um, and I famously hate Calicos. And to be honest, I don't care. I just like thought this sort of like bit was super like uninteresting. So to me, St. Arthur was just like a pretty boring, nothing, you know, fight. Um, though I did not hate St. That's that is true. I don't think I really hated any of the bosses in this in this raid. Yep. <laughs> yep. I don't know if I have anything more to add to that. Um, I see, like, I, I think, I, I don't, do I think she's the worst fight? Um, I think I liked Dathia less, but that might just be like a, I found her mechanics more aggravating. Um, uh, but you know, that's, that's, you know, but like, I, I can see, I could, I could agree with her being the worst fight, even though it's really, really bad, but yeah. Yeah, and then we have Kurag, obviously. Yeah. Um, Kurag is one of the wing bosses, um, and he has, you know, he's a super powerful shaman, and there are the four quadrants in the room, and he gets entirely new mechanics based on what quadrant uh, he's in, and he's doing, you know, lightning stuff in the air section, he's doing, you know, fire stuff in the fire section, all of that kind of thing. I like Kurag quite a lot, but the, this fight, Kurag, I have begun to learn, is the kind of fight that I love the most, which is... A player class or like an iconic sort of, you know, like like archetype done as a raid boss, right? So, for instance, in Sanctum of Domination, Kel'Thuzad was my favorite fight. Um, and the reason why is because he's he is the, you know, archetypal lich. He has all of the cool lich abilities that I want a cool lich to have. And he uses them over the course of the fight, and it feels like I am fighting a lich. Evocative is the term I yeah. use for that, right? Another example of this would be Gul'dan, right? Gul'dan is the archetypical warlock, and he is a warlock who is made into a raid boss, right? He is summoning demons. He's using, you know, hellfire. He is drawing huge amounts of power, you know, like fell power into himself, and it eventually undoes him or whatever, right? Like that kind of stuff. It's pretty common for this sort of thing to just sort of be, you know, um, sprinkled throughout raids in... Wow, history. I could probably go through Wow history and just sort of hit like a dozen of these. You know, Jaina is the is the Frost Mage, right? Up to and including using Ice Block, right? Um, you know, uh, the uh, the the Loa Shaman. You know, like uh, from 
also from Battle of Dazar lore is like that, right? Where they are they are sort of maybe they're almost like druids, right? But they're they're adopting the sort of skills and abilities of the Loa that we have met, right? Like that kind of stuff. I think is really sweet and I think is really interesting. And Kurag is the this version of a shaman, right? He is you know, using cool shaman stuff, and he makes me think, wow, I am fighting a very powerful, very evil shaman. Um, and I think that's the thing that maybe makes him my favorite fight in the raid. Maybe. <coughs> I don't know. What do you think? Um, He's not my favorite, but uh, he was definitely a lot of fun. Um, uh, I, I think I agree with you on the evocative standpoint. Um, I don't know. I was not as in love with him as, as you obviously are, but that's just because, like, I, I think I'm a little bit more mechanics forward. And mechanics were neat, but, like, I don't know. It's kind of... I, I found them to be uh, not bad, but, like, a little bit annoying. And then it's like, oh, I got to do a bunch of little stuff. And, like, also, like, there are ads to kill, but not enough ads that can really justify being in my multi-target build, right? Sure. So I got to, like, peel off and do that and, like, you know, you know, deal with that stuff. And, like... It was fine, um, but it wasn't. I, I wouldn't say it was my favorite. But it was. It was. It was a decent fight. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do think he's a little bit basic, which is maybe what he, yeah. I like. I'm not quite sure what my favorite fight is in the raid, um, and we'll talk about my other one later. Yeah. Um, to, to, but to, to that point, right? It's like instead of being like a handful of complicated mechanics, it's like every basic mechanic spread out among the four quadrants, right? Yeah. Well, and and that's sort of the thing that I think is cool. I like the idea that. He has four bosses in one, right? He has, but each each of those bosses is relatively simple, not not super complicated, right? Um, and you get to choose in which order you tackle sure. that, right? Um, but whenever you give raid that like a raid that kind of choice, very rarely do they take you up on it, right? Normally, what happens is you kind of assign your favorite you know, we're going to do this, 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 this. And that strategy sort of just kind of happens off screen, right? And you say, okay, for this raid, we're starting in lightning and then we're going to frost and then we're going to fire, you know, whatever. I think, you know, we technically, I think we did air then earth or whatever, but like, that's kind of the thing. And I wish that there was a way where, you know, like we could do some of these fights uh, without having to sort of deal with, the the you know the overhead of like the meta or the community because because these are the kinds of fights that I do think are really like interesting and fun to do and to sort of figure out for yourselves if that makes sense right sure like what is the best order of elements for us to take care of um for you know I, I think we did do that at some level though right like we there were like early on some adjustments we made for our particular rates it's like we were having trouble with particular things right like um yep. in particular it's like which quadrant to pull Kraga um, into after the second intermission when it's kind of like you need you, know, you need to finish him out, um, uh, and so I I think uh, I think I, I think I generally uh, 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 agree with you though. Um, I do think that part of the the meta thing though is that like that's part of the draw of the game, right? It's like it's a mystery that you all like the community collectively figures out together, so it's a hard thing to drop. Yep. But I feel that. I feel that. <coughs> yep. Um. After Kurog, uh, it's Council, right? So we're doing the other wing. Um, Council is maybe my other least favorite of the fights, just because it is a little bit too basic. Um, 
to like keep uh, like council is the one that I would focus on the least. And I was, I was disassociating from the fight. I was just kind of like doing whatever. And I wasn't really like thinking through it. Um, I don't know. I don't have anything more complicated to say about council. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> obviously I like council cause I got to flex some like AOE stuff. Although I didn't like, mm. I, I never felt like I really like went off on, on council. Like I, I do on some fights. Um, but it was, it was neat. Um, I found the electricity stuff super fucking annoying. Um, just because I, f- I felt like you needed, like, a half second or so where, like, you couldn't get reinfected with lightning after you dropped it off. Like, the number of times where I, like, went up and dropped my thing off on a rock. And it's kind of, like, had to stay there until, like, people stopped, like, transferring the electricity to me while I was standing next to the rock. Um, was annoying. Honestly, the thing that I wanted from that mechanic was just one second grace period yeah. of, like, an arrow over my head. That said, you are marked. Get out of melee. Yeah. Because the thing that bothered me about it was, you it, like you you're in this big clump of melee. Everybody gets a mark immediately, and then you have to go run out. But it's like you don't even. There's not even a. You can't react to that. There's nothing to to react to, right? It just happens. And if one person is in the melee clump, they're gonna mark everybody else, and then those marks are gonna spread, and it's just like a fucking nightmare. Um, I don't know. I like the marks, to be fair. I think the marks are a neat mechanic. I just kind of wish that there was like a little bit more designed into them in order to give me uh, like a real chance to respond and make a decision about them. Right? Yeah, I feel like they were also in like they, they were in this fight. They were in death. Yeah, were they, were they in a third fight? I feel like they might have been. I think they were. They were in a trash. Oh, okay, fight maybe that's before this. It. Yeah. Um. um yeah, Dathia is better because it the, the boss has a huge hitbox and right. the the platform is very wide. So I, I think it actually makes sense for it to work the way it does in Dathia because it's don't clump. You know what I mean? You want to you want to spread, but it gives you enough room to spread. Where in Council, very specifically, it's not giving you enough room, right? Because yeah. there's these fire patches on the ground and these earthen pillars that are popping up out of you know out of nowhere um and all of that stuff just kind of complicated matters i felt like yeah the the, the so i think we can kind of smoothly transition into the dad the dathia fight the problem i have with it in the dathia fight is like there's a lot of there's like a fair amount of verticality to that fight and you can pass the rings vertically and that was like oh hard. that yep. was like illegible right like somebody would get blown over somebody else and like you know you, you pass like the ring back and forth and be like oh well fuck. <coughs> um uh but uh yeah. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like, Dathia, Dathia was, like, an annoying fight to me, right? Like, um, especially on Heroic, right? Like, I couldn't, I didn't feel comfortable going, for, like, I wanted to maintain a little bit of, there was enough multi-target element that I wanted to maintain a little bit of my multi-target stuff, which I ended up doing, which was fine, but it was still kind of, like, felt like I was, like, putting a lot of power into that for not a lot of, like, you know, like you said, Raiders Dilemma stuff, right? It's like, I'm putting... Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm dropping my DPS overall to make sure that we get through these corner things. It's not even like I get a, a big enough boost out of that to feel super great about it. Um, I also just kind of like um, occasionally had issues with um, with with the uh, with with not like getting pulled into the center. I was like maybe a little bit too risky with it, but it also just felt like it was just like just a hair too much aggravating. Um, also like, oh, I did it on purpose. I would, I would sit there and I would, you know, strafe around the boss kind of running away from it. But eventually you would just get pulled in and I was like, you know what? That's fine because I can charge on warrior. Um, I can blink on mage. Uh, I would do ultra time stuff when I was on, when I was on crew to take care of it. And like that stuff is like sort of fun. I don't know. I, I have a complicated feeling with Dathia, uh, because I don't love those forced movement mechanics as much. Um, 
on melee, I find them to be very annoying because I'm trying to execute a rotation, yeah. but I'm like, you have to be, you have to be moving. So it's just like, and maybe, maybe this is an argument that like, I need a better version of my, you know, cause I'm using WASD for movement or whatever. Um, but this thing of like, I'm, uh, I'm sitting on Q because Q is strafe left and I'm running around sideways to the boss, but I also have to be cheated a little bit in so that I'm facing the boss and getting my damage up time, right? And my abilities are, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, or whatever. It's just like doing that on my fingers just like sucked kinesthetically. I feel that. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. I but I did like that Dathia was a member of council who didn't die, and she was really mad that we killed her brother. And so, you know, she accepts this power from Razageth, right? Like, there's this little story in it. I thought that was the coolest shit. This is the kind of stuff that I feel like is uh, pretty, pretty great about Vault of the Incarnates, right? Probably some of the best raid design um, in terms of just like narratively telling a story through when as you're moving throughout the raid, right? On one ring, on one wing, you have Kurog, you know, summoning these elementals or whatever. You you know, he's about to summon the the mother of all elementals. You got to kill him, right? Um, on the other wing, you have the council of whatever, um, and the council of what one of the bosses from the council of whatever survives, and she takes this insane power from Razageth, and she's gonna die, but she's gonna bring you all with her that kind of a thing um so yeah yeah though i also do like any fight i have decided this is one of my favorite things a fight that splits the raid into teams is a good fight i have never had a bad fight where you have like team one team two stuff going on i feel like that's cool that's fun um every every raid leader i know gets really mad about it because they're like oh i have to split the groups but you know what they can suck it i like that i think that's fun yeah no i I think I, I, there's definitely a, a fun aspect to that, but, you know, um, I don't know. The thing that I think aggravated me the most about Diana was, like, <coughs> those little tornadoes that just kind of, like, wandered around the platform. Oh, I hated those. And the, the thing that killed me about those, when they're moving, it just shows you a little arrow. Yeah. in the, And I was just like, the fuck does this mean? I, I wish it showed me a line. Yeah. Right? I can dodge a line, like Massacre, for instance, on Sire Denathrius is a good example of this. I can dodge a line. I cannot look for seven individual arrows and figure out whether I'm not in, whether or not I'm in the path of them. Right? Uh, but, you know, yeah. whatever. I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. But even when they were, like, more static, they would, like, wander around in circles. I always felt like one was chasing me specifically. It's like, you know, you know, I'm... It, they were just like kind of aggravating in that from that it's like ah no just stop bothering me I, I already got out of your way um but yeah absolutely yep i get that 100 percent um all right so what's next Di diurna i guess yeah so broodmother um broodmother is one of the most interesting fights i think because it is the kind of fight that i was talking about a little bit with um uh kurag in the sense that it is a fight that you know, you, the meta sort of defines itself. And we figured that out pretty quickly. We, you know, we found a map that just showed where all of the eggs are and where you should go first, what eggs you should break. Some person in the community did that. There's another map that was where do all the ads spawn in what order, right? And to a certain extent, you're just following the map. Um, but the mechanics themselves are so complicated, actually, that just executing on that piece of it is actually really fun. 
and I had a really good time with um, with with doing it because the nature of you never ran eggs, right? No, I, I never I never even like looked at them, right? Like I was like I was always on <laughs> uh, on ads, right? <coughs> yeah, okay. I was always an egg runner um, until we needed my DPS to just be on boss, um, and uh, but like the being an egg runner is one of the most fun things I think I've ever done in 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 the raid. Right, it requires a lot of clear communication. Um, in the moment, there are one of the most fun things about WoW, which is a complicated thing to design for, is a thing goes wrong and you needed to do hero shit to save it. Right. So, for instance, an egg is missed and it, there's now a dragon. Right. And you do this thing of, oh, I'm gonna taunt the dragon. I'm gonna heroic leap out to the ads group. I'm gonna get the tank to taunt the dragon off of me. I'm gonna run back into eggs. That's really fun. Somebody misses an egg, so you're not on eggs, but you know you can pick up the buff and clear their egg, you know, in order to save it. That's really fun, right? Um, and there's just a lot of moments, you know, like, oh, you miss an egg in, you miss one of the triple eggs, right? in one pack, but you know that you can just add an egg later on the seventh pull or something like that, right? That stuff I think is really fun and entertaining. Um, and it makes the it makes the boss fight like a, a tactical problem um, with a lot of room for error, but also a lot of room for correction on that error. And I don't know that I've ever done as fun a boss as Diurna at that specific thing, right, of saving the day when everything goes wrong. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. Because, you know, I, yeah. I've been you – know, I also had those moments, right, like, you know, sometimes break an egg and I'd have to run over, taunt, taunt with provoke, and, like, drag it back to, back to the tank on the ads group. Or, like, you know, the tank is, like, somebody who's a little bit slower, so I cast Tiger's Lust on the tank to get <laughs> And I think Diurna might be my favorite fight of the, of the raid. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Diurna is – the competing with Kurag, right, for, for my favorite fight of um, of the raid, just for like that reason. I, you know, like the general thing of um, like the story thing of she saw Aranog as her son, and so Aranog's death she takes really personally, and she's like, you know, what? I don't even give a fuck about the Primalist. I just want to kill you for killing him, kind of thing. Um, I think that was cool, right? It's neat to have boss motivation that's not just. Oh, I, you know, I put my lieutenants in your way so that you couldn't reach me in time. That kind, that kind of thing, right? Um, but I think really what what makes uh, Diurna so fun is just like the particular way that fight was designed to maximize this this uh, you know precariousness of can the raid execute on these mechanics? Yeah. No. I so I like. There is also a, a fight where I feel like there, there it was the fight where like I had the most kind of like the biggest um, biggest separation between the fights where I was on and the fights where I was off, and that is kind of kind of comes down to like lining up a few cooldowns right because it's like I do good pack burst right and so it's like if I do it right things really really sing and really feel like I'm really like jamming out on like killing mobs and then if I'm a little bit off it feels like oh that didn't go so right oh I didn't. Can't quite get my flying guillotine right. Oh, my, my, uh, my bone dust brew didn't quite hit the way I wanted it to. Um, but yeah, but otherwise, like, you know, um, but, but that's also like a, a good kind of like window for training stuff. I really like Diana. I think, like I said, I think she might be my favorite fight of the, of the raid. Um, yeah. 
She also had some of the big chase loot, like Mana Grief Torch, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. It, it, you ended up using Storm Eater's Boon and Manic Research, is that right? That is what I currently have. As your have. trinkets? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you, do you, do you like those trinkets? Are they, are they fun? Um, I love Manic Torch. Storm Eater's Boon is one of those that's, like, fun and, like, fun to abuse mechanics with, right? It's like, oh, I can do this and not have to worry about certain mechanics because I can't move either way, right? Like, there's <coughs> three bosses that works with. There's uh, Dathia yep. herself. There's... Um, Senarth and uh, Razageth, right? Like, it, it gets good utility there. But it's also, like, can be potentially fucking dangerous, right? Like, I would occasionally, like, in Council, sometimes it used to be like, oh, am I going to fuck the entire raid because, like, a lightning thing dumps on me and I can't get out? Um, didn't manage to happen, but I, like, lived in fear of that sometimes. Um, also, occasionally, like, so the way I macro it is, like, I have both my trinkets on one macro, and occasionally the Storm Reader's Boom would come out when I meant for the Grief Tor Torch to come out, and then I was like, well, I'm standing here for 10 seconds out of range of everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the original version of Storm Reader's Boon uh, increased your melee range to rank to 30 yards. Really? So even, yeah, even if people, like, walked out, you could, you could still get your melee damage in, but it got redesigned, um... To you know, not do that. Yeah. Uh, which to be honest, I actually like. I like the the Sorbiter's Boon might be my favorite. I don't know. I don't know what I think is my favorite like trinket of the raid. I wasn't using very many of them because um, most of my trinkets came from Mythic Plus. But the thing I liked about Manic Reef Torch, I'm sorry, uh, about Sorbiter's Boon is that it is a you know, Razagath says you know like this is a dangerous power it's going to kill you, right? Um, and so the nature of like, oh, I popped it in, in a thing and now a swirly is right under me and I'm fucking dead, right? Like, I think that's actually pretty funny yeah, and yeah. pretty good trinket design, all things considered. I agree. No, it's 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 super, like, it didn't stop me from using it, right? It's super fun. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so should we uh, move on to uh, Razageth, I guess? It's like yeah, a the big the big baddie. Razageth. You know, last week, did I say this? Did I say Razageth might be the hardest heroic boss since Azshara, who I think was the hardest heroic boss I've ever fought? Um, I don't know if I can stand by that statement after Tuesday. Uh, what, what did you think? How hard was Razageth compared to some of the other AOTC bosses we've done? Um. Huh. So, I kind of want to say that, like, I didn't feel like she was harder than any of the Shadowlands ending bosses. And maybe I'm using difficulty in a different manner, but, like, you know, I still meme on this. It's like, we still haven't gotten her second heroic, you know, heroic uh, Denathrius kill, right? I think we did at some point. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, like, memeing about it. But, like, that fight required a lot. So, I don't know. Like, I think this fight might be mechanically harder, but, like, has less fatigue problems, right? Like, it, it felt like with Denathrius, every time you got downstairs and you got all the way to the end step and you failed, it was, like, so demoralizing, right? Um, because, like, I think I feel like the fight kind of ramped up in difficulty. I think Razageth, that final phase, is actually not that hard mechanically. And I think that's actually good because, like... Um, uh, uh, Lou says in the chat we only cleared it after she was mega nerfed. When was she? Was she nerfed? Um, like I, I wouldn't say that she was mega nerfed. She some of the healing checks were made a little bit okay. easier, um, but like I feel like in previous in Shadowlands we were seeing a lot of like max health cuts, right? 
you know, it's pretty typical, I feel like, for the end boss to get a round of nerfs uh, before we would end up getting there. Yeah, um, that that's fair. Um, uh, the so what do I want to say? The, the jailer was the jailer like so with I know with like with with um, Sylvanas in particular, right? Like that fight was just so fucking brutal to like get through the first phase and then get through the second phase and, ha- and like not really having an opportunity to practice that final phase, which is like the hardest phase of the whole thing. I think I feel like. Um, and then, like, die, and be like, well, I guess we got to go through 10 minutes of fighting to get back there, right? Um, yeah, I think that is the ultimate, that is the ultimate sin of Sylvanas, was the hardest phase was the third phase. Um, whereas with Razageth, when once you got to the third phase, it's actually kind of the easiest phase um, to, to deal e- with. Easiest um, mechanically, but, like, it still, still holds the franticness of, like, oh, you're, you're against a ticking clock, right? You need to get this done before, like, the whole... Yeah, I do think that is the, the, the majesty of um, uh, Razageth is that that the nature of that ticking clock. Um, it's actually the same thing as uh, Denathrius also had this, right? When you get to the third phase of Denathrius and he kind of walls off the thing and he is now cutting out corners of the room, right? So you have less and less room to kind of like deal with stuff. That ramping feeling of we have to kill him right now or he's going to kill us, right? Is really exciting and really satisfying to kind of, like, fight against. I I agree with that. Um, I think that the Denathrius final phase had, like, a couple too many things going on that it, it felt like... It always felt super fucking frantic, right? Like, it felt like it, we were always, like, you know, one step away from, like, totally wiping, whereas, like, Razgeth felt a little bit more forgiving in that final phase, right? Like, you had, you had those, like, one step up from failing kind of things, but they tended to be a little bit earlier on, right? Like, um, I feel like it was, I feel like the first phase was the, was the hardest kind of like from like a, kind of like everything ha- you have to do, like, you know, from like a, by, you know, like a, a, what's like a, like an absolute fail versus an absolute um, win, right? Like, um, like there, there are certain, there are certain mechanics that are like, if you don't do well enough, over the course of time, you will fail the run. There's certain mechanics, like, if you don't do this mechanic well right now, you're fucked, right? And I feel like those mechanics were, like, front-weighted in Razgeth, and I like that better because it's like, oh, you have to learn to do that stuff. Um, yeah. Lou in the chat is saying that 20% nerfs are not, aren't insignificant, especially given our raids issues, um, which I guess is fair. So I, I do agree with that, but, like, the a 20% nerf to a couple of abilities to make healing checks easier is different to me than Anduin losing entire mechanics, right? And getting his health cut, right? You know, the heroic jailer getting his health cut by 10%, right? I, I feel like those things are more more meaningful nerfs than than Razagath's sort of one-time 20% health nerfs. Um, or not, not health nerfs, um, healing, healing check nerfs. DPS check too. I get. Did, did they reduce the, uh, the damage? To be fair, I don't remember what specifically yeah. was nerfed. I was thinking about them, you know, like the abilities or whatever. I was thinking about them in terms of them being, uh, uh, you know, like damage, like the amount of damage that stuff was doing. We're gonna be, we're gonna be nerfs. <coughs> we're we're nerfed. Fair. Um, you know, I also don't heal, so I don't, I don't, uh, uh. I don't know what the, those uh, issues were. Uh, 
Okay, I okay. I have now looked it up because Lou continues to uh, make this point. Uh, it was electric lash damage, volatile current damage, lingering charge periodic damage, and then the storm surge absorb shield was was reduced by twenty percent. So three of those are health are healing check nerfs. One of those is a DPS check nerf. Okay, that's fair. Hello, Charles. We were talking about wow. Um, What's up, Charles? Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Lou, we appreciate your healing. Or at least I appreciate your healing. I won't speak for Baron. Uh, so, you know. Uh, I, I, I No one on the planet Earth appreciates Lou's healing more than me because I've been with it the longest. Okay, you guys? I, I won't have anyone disparage my appreciation of Lou's healing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I can also see, like, I don't know what the rest of our healer core looks like. I know that, like, you know, friend of the cast, Kexty, uh, you know, came back recently and has generally been under, under leveled for the fight, um, and so I, I can't imagine we had like I know, I know we've we've been fooling around with like the number of healers a fair amount, right? To to kind of get things to to, to work because I know that um, not all of our healer core is the most cooperative. Maybe is the way to put it. Uh, yeah, I mean we had four healers, uh, two of whom I think were very strong and two of whom are kind of middling <laughs> not 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 as strong yeah I mean, to, to be fair <coughs> to kexty kexty's like ah you know you know i know i know that i'm not you know the greatest right like um because he's coming in new but but you who, who like what uh riago you're saying is yeah 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 druid ball is uh was was healing on that fight it was krillin druid ball uh kexty and uh lou, lou for for outkill yeah um, you know, yeah. Um, um, did you ever, did you ever get any of the Razageth loot? Um, I don't know. What is, what was Razageth? I got one piece of gear from Razageth, which was the Desperate Invokers Codex, which is actually a pretty cool piece of gear. Um, you know, it's a trinket that the cooldown on it gets reduced every time you cast a spell, but it deals damage to the target and it deals damage to you. And the more spells you cast, the lower the cooldown gets. Um, but also, the more damage it does to you, which I think is pretty is pretty sweet. Um, just sort of as like a a uh, I don't know, like a like a trinket that has this sort of meaning to it, right? Yeah. But I feel like there was there was spiteful storm. Maybe it was the only other one. Um, I don't remember if there are any other. Yeah, do I have anything that I got? I, I don't recognize any of these. Uh, uh, maybe the headpiece, but I also want to transform the headpiece. Um, yeah. I'm not eligible for, like, a lot of that loot, too, right? Like, the, um, like I can't get the two-handed axe. Yeah, I did get that two-handed axe, actually, on my very first time-walking chest. Or not time-walking, the mythic, you know, like, the mythic... Thingy chest. I got this huge buff of a of a four eleven axe on like the third week of the expansion. Oh well. But anyway, yeah. where does you know Vault of the Incarnates fall in terms of like your overall raids? Um. Uh, I don't know. Um, I enjoyed it. I kind of don't really keep the other like a ton of raids in my head in terms of like how I evaluate <coughs> them. Um. Sure. I don't know. Um, I, f I, I found it very satisfying. It's 
probably my favorite of the recent ones just because like I found like like uh Sylvanas I just found like so annoying as a as a as a boss kind of like soured me on a lot of the raid um uh I uh, what would the other ones be um uh, like I said there's a lot of multi-target opportunity which is always good for monks and something I enjoy so that was I that elevates it above other ones um I don't know I it's I I think it's my favorite of the recent ones but like I also wouldn't interrogate that too too deeply. Do you, what, what are your thoughts? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, I like a lot of the I like a lot of the story stuff. It reminds me of Battle for Dazar lore, which is actually probably one of my favorite raids of all time. Um, maybe I would say the best raid in like modern WoW history. Maybe the Nighthold is the best raid in modern WoW history. Um, the thing about Battle for Dazar lore that was really great was the story that progressed through it was was really tangible and fun. Um, and I think that's something that is a real strength for Vault of the Incarnates, kind of as like like you know sort of what we what we ended up talking about. Um, but I don't know. The, some of the boss fights were. Uh, I, I feel like most of the boss fights were like fine, but there was something that like really stood out to me, right? Um, for instance, oh no, I want to say Hadronox. That's not the right one. What is the, what is the crab? In yeah, no, I know what you're. Sepulcher. Um, that what a great fight. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that is a tremendously good fight, right? Just really well designed in every every aspect, right? Um, but. I don't think there's anything that's on that caliber here. Um, I don't even think there's anything on the caliber of like Kel'Thuzad. I don't know. I don't, what did I say for Castle Nathria? What are the good fights in Castle Nathria? I really like uh, the chain guy, whatever his name was, but it's maybe the most memorable fight for me. But it's just like um, I don't. I don't know how much I'm going to be thinking about this raid in, in a couple of uh, you know. Yeah. In in, in a couple of months, uh, it'll probably sort of like fade from my memory a little bit. Um, so yeah, pretty you know, pretty good overall. Uh, I had a very good time because of class design. I think it's probably the thing I would say about it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, we're in overtime so we can start going into other stuff but um buddy you have failed to do the quest line for like the fourth or fifth time at this point true i know i am a fucking loser so it's fine let's just yep. let's get on with it so vague synopsis of this is you uh, <coughs> spoilers for the um dragon scale expedition quest line um at the, the the very last step of it is you get into this vault and you walk in and you essentially go through a bunch of like, uh, um, uh, you go through a bunch of like museum exhibits, and like essentially, uh, Tyr has put a bunch of samples of uh, primalist dragons in the vault, and there's some question as to why he was doing this, right? Um, uh, my prediction, and this is going to be the big twist, is that Tyr actually created, like, this is my guess, Tyr actually created the primalists. And, you know, like the, the primal incarnates, and they were like his failed first draft. And that's what we're going to find out, that this thing that they are raging against is, in fact, also their creator. Um, and that's, that, that is my big prediction for, for the end of, uh, of or for the, for the progression of Dragonflight. Okay. Yeah. Well, so there's also, so we're also resurrecting Tyr, right, in the other plot line, right? Maybe. Have you done that one with the silver scale? Um, are we resurrecting where... him? Or are we, 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 like, on... on 
We, I don't know. That is specu I'm speculating, right? But you find this special silver scale, you plug it into the machine, right. and the machine spits out a, an empty tear body, right? Um, and uh, and then also you get his memories. His memories exist, um, but I don't know that he. You don't actually talk to him or anything like that. You just you you are sent to Ulderman to go get his. Memories, oh, oh, in the, in the discs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Oh, um, I can see that. So that is that is a pretty interesting thing. I don't know how I feel about this, to be honest with you. Um, this stuff with sort of like the Titan Keepers. It is funny to me because people sort of railed against um, some aspects of the the Shadowlands plot being too, kind of like too cosmic, right? You know, like dealing with these gods, essentially. Um, but um, I kind of feel like the exact same thing is happening with like this tier stuff. Um and I sort of feel like weirdly unmoored because there's no Sylvanas. This is going to sound absolutely buck wild to anyone who cares about this stuff at all. But it's just like in previous expansions, I have there's a real strong emotional anchor, right? Um, in Battle for Azeroth, it is Sourfang. Um, it's Jaina, right? Um, in uh, Shadowlands, it is um, Sylvanas and Anduin, right? Where the thing I'm really invested in are these super long-running characters. Also, Taronda, by the way. Um, these super long-running characters who are, you know, relatable, and I like them, and I want stuff to happen, right? I don't have a, same, a similar sort of connection to really any of the characters in Dragonflight, it feels like. Because um, it's like Alex Traza, I guess. Knows <coughs> um, <coughs> Dormu I like. Because I like this thing that they're doing with him, uh, which is his, um, you know, he he understands that he is destined to go insane and become Murazant and, like, fight f for everything that he hates, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I just don't feel, I just don't feel as connected to the story in Dragonflight as I did to uh, previous expansions. And I feel like it's because I'm lacking that, like, core sort of emotional, sort of emotional anchor. Yeah, well, I um, mean... The so. The kind of like pure heartstrings character you hate, right? Which is Calicos. Um, That's true. I do hate Calicos because he is such a fucking loser, and he bothers me so much. Um, yeah. No. I also like. I will say that like a lot of the like the more interesting parts of the of the plot kind of like got like you know you kind of like just do and you're done with right early on right. Like, <coughs> I think the um, Sibelian Rathion dynamic is an interesting thing that uh hopefully they'll explore more but like yeah all the like plot points around that like i feel like i was done within like the first week right um yeah uh, that's very true uh i think that like um and i i you know i think the prediction is is i don't know if it's gonna happen in this expansion but whenever you know um those dormu goes to change chromie is going to prevent it from happening because that's like pretty obviously foreshadowed right like um uh what else uh what else um i don't know i i think I, I think i get where you're coming from um doesn't you know you know are you i here's my big tinfoil i will say i did not know it was in this vault because i hadn't done that quest line but if it is true that it is sort of cop i'm sorry what can, can you just explain what is in the vault is it copies um so it's like there's like a. it's been a little while since i've done it but there's like um there's like proto like elemental infused like proto drake whelps that are like in like like uh 
glass bulbs and some of them have escaped and that's like the gameplay part of it right is you have to like get them back into uh, like stasis bubbles but the question is why are they there yeah there's not there's like that, that's part okay. of the mystery is like one of the one of the explorers is like oh why are they there um and like my theory is that you know tear made them right um and you know tier, this, the 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 elemental or, you know the primalist or the you know the elemental whatever the uh, incarnates are like tears failing right like tears first draft in a failure um Okay, I think I think I am on board with that. The thing I was thinking about was, um, I think we're gonna get a new Dragonflight. This is my this is my prediction. At the end of this expansion, we're gonna get a new Dragonflight. I don't know what it is. It's gonna be like the White Dragonflight, you know, the Gold Dragonflight. You could do a million of these, um, but I think there's gonna be a new Dragonflight. And the elemental stuff makes me think maybe the new Dragonflight will be like led by one of the incarnates like maybe Viranath, who is the ice incarnate um you know like aridacron who by the way i i love the elemental incarnates um in their like villain personas i think that shit is sweet as hell um and aridacron has this amazing magneto vibe to him that i am just salivating for basically uh, um, which but i feel like aridacron is the earth okay Firak, so Firak is like the next um, patch is sort of about Firak. He is clearly like absolutely crazy, right? Eridicron is the leader. He has that sort of like dark, you know, brooding mastermind, very Lex Luthor sort of vibes. Um, <coughs> but Viranath doesn't really have anything yet. And I think it would be kind of neat if. You know, there is some minor redemption arc, and there is a version of things where, you know, like, Viranath rebels against the other incarnates, joins up with the Aspects, becomes the Aspect of the White Dragonflight, right? Which is a new Dragonflight of elemental proto-drakes or something like that, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. But I think that would be sweet. Yeah, that would be, it would, that would be neat. There's, I am... The thing that always kind of like stuck sticks in my mind about like the dragon fights in general is they are like so deterministic about like who they are. It's like it's like you know if you're like you know a blue proto whelp or a a blue whelp, right? And you're like, I think this time stuff is neat. I want to be a bronze dragon when I grow up. Like, no, fuck you. You're studying magic, right? Like, yeah. Um, uh, which, you know, like I could see them doing a kind of like you know, vaguely Jedi-esque kind of, like, the dragon fights need to be less rigid and more flexible type of thing, where it's, like, it's not that they're the bad guys, but, like, they still have, like, lessons to learn, right? Like, yeah. type of deal. Um, I could see them doing something like that. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> that's also, like, <coughs> who, knows? who knows? Who knows? I am most excited <laughs> for Pirate Hosen, um, which is in this current patch, so, you know. Um, I want Hosen to be an allied race. Hosen, <laughs> you know, hey, they could do it. We're do, we're doing heritage armor again, I guess, right? Yeah. So, yep, yep. <sighs> All right. Well, that's um, basically, you know, all the WoW stuff to talk about, right? Do you have anything else WoW wise you want to talk about? Nope. I am I am on board. What else have you been up to? All right. So I've got a bunch of stuff. First, and we'll get this Fuck out of the yeah. way. Um, is I played a fair amount of Zoeti over the weekend. We are going to do a whole episode on that next week. So. Can I actually ask, what is your playtime right now? Do, 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 
do, uh, let me pop it up real quick. Probably like three or four hours, I guess. Okay. I'm at 57 hours on Steam alone, which doesn't, which doesn't include all of the, like, you know, build stuff that I was doing uh, before before it got onto Steam proper, so. 5.4 hours. Um, okay. I will say that it was fun to play. So the big thing I did is over the weekend, I went up north to uh, Hanover, which is where Dartmouth is located, but totally unrelated to Dartmouth. There was a miniatures-based con in a hotel, which was super fun. And in between my game sessions, I would play Zoetti on my Steam Deck. So that was uh, a good thing. Um, I would appreciate it. Um, and obviously, this is not me asking you for this. But, like, you know, it would be nice if there was a little bit more optimization for work with the Steam Deck, right? Like, the, the, the little button in the upper right-hand corner that you click to, like, switch out your skills is so small that it's hard to tap with my finger. But, like, you know. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, yeah. you know, that's useful feedback. Yeah, yeah, but, like, you know, it is it is, it is is a fun game to play. Like, it feels like a natural thing for the Steam Deck, right? Like, I just kind of, like, tap on cards and, like, push them up. And most of the time, it just kind of works, and it's, it's magical, and it's nice. Um, uh, uh, but the big thing to talk about there is the actual con. Um, I had not been into a lot of miniature space stuff. I'm, I was like, I didn't even like play a ton of like Warhammer or whatever, or Warhammer 40k. Um, but this kind of whole subgenre of like games that I would say are kind of like to Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, what like, um, kind of the more mechanics like, 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 you know, like Mask of the Luchador is to D&D, right? Um, where it's like, there are rules, but they're a little bit more light. Um, there's a kind of a core rule set and the team's a variation of the rules rather than every kind of like army having intricate rules on their own. Um, so I played, what did I play? I played, uh, three different games, uh, systems over the course of the weekend. I played Pulp Alley, which is a, um, kind of interwar period set, um, type of narrative, narrative-ish game. Um, obviously it's miniature space with a lot of mechanics, but it's like, you know, there was a team of gumshoes, a team of policemen, a team of Indiana Jones-esque explorers, and a team of communists. Um, and then there was a team of, uh, like, aviators, like, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, Charles uh, Charles Lindbergh kind of looking aviators, or like rocketeer-inspired aviators, all from that interwar period. And, you know, there's like an evil genius with stroking a cat that's like causing havoc in the town, and you move your miniatures around, and you shoot at each other, and, like, you know, you kind of, like, fill in the details um, as you're, like, overcoming challenges or whatever. And it was a good time, right? It's kind of, like, supposed to be, like, a B-movie, right? Like, there's one player who's the, who's the director who chooses what order players go in, and then the director rules pass around. Um, it was super fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, very flavorful. Very neat. Um, we, we, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and I very much enjoyed it. Um, next game I played was a game called Frostgraves which is a, basically like a generic kind of fantasy game designed to be played with, like, any miniatures you have, right? You've got a wizard and an apprentice and then, like, a handful of soldiers, and you move around a battlefield and you try and, like, grab treasure. Um, and, you know, just, like, a nice kind of, like, streamlined, some tactical depth, but, like, rule, like, you know, fun, like, you know, you have like half a dozen spells that you can that you can cast as your character, kind of swingy. Like a lot of stuff is based on like you know a d20 roll, um, but like fun and lighthearted and super enjoyable. Um, uh, you know, just kind of like some good fun, easy to pick up, like a type of thing that I would consider like setting up in say like roll twenty or um, or like sure. fan, or uh, you know forge or something foundry, um, just to kind of like play and like you know a thing that you can like kind of like teach people and play like a whole session like a handful of hours um and then uh, i did a painting class 
which was super fun. I forgot to bring my miniatures in so I could show you how I went from like absolutely abysmal to like merely terrible. Um, but <laughs> yeah. The, the, the guy teaching the class is like a guy who lives up there who like does on <coughs> commission. Um, and he like basically was like telling us all these like super, you know, giving us tips and tricks on how to do things. Um, and that was super fun. Like a lot of it's just kind of like putting hours in. I met some cool people. Um, and the last one I did, I sent you a picture of this. Um, this is like custom jousting game that some dude who actually like lives not super far from me. I might join their club for games at some point, but, um, he like has like these like knights that are like in like, they're like big, they're like bigger knights. They're like, like, you know, like that scale instead of like, you know, most minis are like that scale. These minis were like this scale, they're, like knights on horses. And it's like came up with a rule system to have them joust against each other. Um, and it was, uh, that was just like a cool, fun thing to do. Some dude who clearly cared a lot about like making this like medieval jousting thing. It's like, oh, you pick your tilt, you pick what you're targeting, you like roll horsemanship checks, and you're trying to unseat your opponent. And uh, yeah, that was just like, it was just super fun to see someone's passion project like that. Um, on top of all this fun stuff, like I said, I met some cool people. There was a streamer with Extra Life who was there, like, raffling off stuff. I won, like, a Judge Dread set. That guy's name is, uh, I believe his, his handle is Vermont Gamer. He's, he's like, a, a variety streamer on Twitch. Um, but he was super cool. Uh, the con organizers were super cool. This is, like, the, like, I've gone to a couple different small cons. This one was, like, really cozy, right? Like, you know, you get, you know, you make friends quickly. Um, you see people walk around, it's like, hey, Jim, like, I haven't seen you in forever, right? Like, saying, you know, old friends meeting and that type of stuff. So, um, I love these kind of, small, like, I have really become a big fan of these small kind of regional cons, and I'm hoping to go to a couple more of them this year. But, uh, you know, like, PAX is super fun, but, like, I'm not really, like, making friends at PAX, right? Like, I'm meeting up with you guys, and, like, it's a huge con with, like, you know, thousands of people. Same thing with Gen yeah. Con. But, like, you know, these small cons, like, it's hard to, like, not, like, get to know people, especially since there's, like, you know, you're one at a table with six people in, like, a half dozen games or half dozen to a dozen games per session. It was, like, it was a good time. Very good time. Highly recommend it. It was called Mayhem Con for anybody looking to go next year. Um, they've already scheduled it. Um, so if you're in New England... Uh, I would highly recommend Mayhem Con. Mayhem Con. I might try and drag uh, friends of the con, uh, uh, Sarian and Ray, to it next year if I can convince them. Um, that, that's part of the thing, too, is, like, the smaller cons are also, like, you know, a weekend pass for um, for packs is, like, hundreds of dollars. This con was $30 a day or $60 for the weekend, right? And none of the events cost anything, right? Like, it's much more doable, Um yeah, that is that is a very satisfying feeling. I feel like going to one of the small cons is not like breaking the bank open yeah. in order to do that. Yeah. Um, only other thing to mention is I put a little bit of time into the Street Fighter Street Fighter Six, a demo drop for PlayStation Four and Five. The Steam version is coming uh, in a couple of days, actually. Um, Steam and Xbox, but uh, I put a little bit of time just to get my fingers on the mechanics. Feels great. Very much looking forward to the full release. Buddy, how was your week? Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny because I made such a huge deal out of not playing Chorfs last last week because I thought they came out at a different point. Um, 
and I still haven't touched it. And the reason why is because I'm pretty deep into StarCraft 2 right now, and I'm just like, I'm just going to finish StarCraft 2. I basically, I have a bunch of different games that I'm sort of in the middle of. Um, one of which is Pathfinder Kingmaker. I want to beat Kingmaker before going to Wrath of the Righteous. Um, but I really want to play Wrath of the Righteous. Um, and Kingmaker is definitely like a lot of fun. Uh, and I am like the worst person for it because the game has so much stuff and I want to do all of it that like I am, um, and the game has mechanics for if you are not doing the main quest fast enough, it starts punishing you. And I'm just like, I don't care. Fuck it. I'm just going to do these stupid side quests because like there are nodes on the map, Mango, and I have to clear them all out. I have to visit all of them or else my brain will break. Right, I have to. I just have to get to the other side of this thing, uh, and there's all this stuff about like managing your kingdom, and like I just kind of want to sit there and city build a little bit, right? Um, and uh, you know all this, all this stuff. It's super dumb, but I am, I am, you know, chipping away at, at Pathfinder Kingmaker. Um, the main game that I've been playing is StarCraft Two. I beat the Wings of Liberty campaign um, for like the millionth time. God, StarCraft. <sighs> Story is so good, Mango. I like. I I know I have said this a million times, but like, oh, and for some reason it's just really affecting me this time around. I like practically cried um, in the beginning of Heart of the Swarm. Right, uh, I it, you probably don't remember these plot points. In Wings of Liberty, <coughs> most of your time is spent building a resistance, <coughs> a rebellion as Rainer's Raiders, and you're rebelling against the Dominion, right? Um, which is uh, run by Emperor Mengsk. He is a douchebag. He's the guy who left Kerrigan on uh, New Gettysburg um, to be infested by the Zerg and turned into the Queen of Blades, right? He's a huge piece of shit. But there's a twist, because you find out that, you know, you're doing this, you're doing this, these missions to get these artifacts, and you find out that you can use those artifacts to de-infest Kerrigan, right? And so instead of using his momentum to launch the campaign to dethrone Manx that he has always asked to do, right? Instead, Raynor redirects all of his forces to, to the Zerg homeworld of Char, um, the center of Kerrigan's power. Um, she confronts her there. He sets off this artifact and he successfully de-infests her, right? And then in the start of Heart of the Swarm, they're together, they're fighting, they have this banter, it's amazing. She gives him a little kiss as, like, guys are attacking or whatever, but then, oh no, she gets cut off from Rainer, he can't get out, and then she goes to the rendezvous where they had planned to meet, and she sees a news broadcast from Emperor Mengsk that he was captured and executed. And she's so furious that she goes to the homeworld, like the, the birthplace of the Zerg, and reinfests herself and turns herself back into the, into the Queen of Blades in order to get her revenge on Emperor Mengsk. And it's just like, oh... It's it's too good. I can't I can't deal with how how much I I love it. I think part of it, <clears throat> I think part of it is that I'm a romantic at heart. Really, I've talked about my love of Titanic, right? How I think Titanic is like a it's like a really strong like a really good movie. Um, and uh, <coughs> I was recently like obsessed with it or whatever. I think that's part of what this is. And Starcraft Two is a very rare male-centered romance, right? It is fundamentally a melodrama 
that is not about like a that is not about women. It's about men. It is about Rainer, right? Um, at least in that beginning portion that I was that I was like talking about or whatever. Like the idea of like a guy who is so in love with the with you know his ex that he throws away his entire like he throws away everything just at the chance that he can have that he can be with her again like ah what a what a romantic melodramatic thing right i don't think anybody ever would think of starcraft 2 in those terms except for fucking me but whatever um and then i've just kind of been doing upkeep on other games right i've been doing my overwatch 2 dailies which to be honest i'm having a weird amount of fun with and I want to try I simultaneously want to recruit people to play Overwatch 2 with but I think that if I did I would have less fun with the game um because it would give people a chance to sort of like rage or whatever basically all I'm doing is I'm logging in I'm doing these dailies and I'm logging out for the day um but like I don't know it's just like really satisfying especially in a game where I'm playing with randos and I'm carrying um, there's just like not a lot of feeling, there's not a lot of other feelings in the world that are as satisfying as that thing of like getting a bunch of randos to go, wow, that was a really great ultimate, right? Or a really sweet play or whatever else. Um, and then obviously Hearthstone is in there. I'm, I'm, I'm told there are buffs on the way. Warrior is at the worst win rate that it's been in a long time and it's still not the worst win rate deck in the game. Mage is worse. Um, so... You know, we'll we'll see with the patch, which I'm pretty sure is going to drop tomorrow. <coughs> has to has to offer. That's that's it. That's that's all the stuff that I've been that I've been thinking about doing. All that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um. Oh, I did want to shout out something that is like not games related. Um. I listened to. Do you know who John Ronson is? Not no, uh, Ron Ron Johnson or John Ronson. Hold on. Let me. Make sure I get the the dude's name right because I feel I will. John Ron Johnson, the United States Senator. No, uh, who is what? Hold on, give me one second. The British think. journalist. Yes, John Ronson. Um, so he did. He's done a he's done a, a handful of things. I think he like wrote the book. So you've been canceled or something about that that woman who like tweeted like you know going to Africa, you know. Oh my God! Wow, he's the guy who made the the Men Who Stare at Goats book. Did he? I did not realize that. Yeah, apparently, um, yeah. So, funnily enough, I also have a comment about that. Um, so, I will get to that in a second. But he he did a, he's done a handful of podcasts. He did um, it all fell apart, which is kind of like examining the beginnings of certain culture war stuff, like um, how effectively like like the abortion issue used to be like a very Catholic thing, and it only became like an evangelical Protestant thing after like basically some dude wanted to like gin up a film reel, and his father was like a preacher, right? Um, super interesting stuff, but he did this thing. Do you, so this is wild. Do you know, do you remember the Timothy McVeigh bombings? They happened when we were in like elementary school. Oh yeah. That means he's the Unabomber, right? No, he's not. That's like, I, I realized after listening to this that I was wrong. Like, Oh, Oklahoma the Oklahoma City, City bomber. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I realized that kind of merged Unabomber in my head, but they're different. Um, yeah, I would also merge both of these guys in my head. Okay, but I do know this guy because he's the guy who d who was mad about all of the the right wing milit like he talks about Ruby Ridge and Waco as um, yeah. So so w Waco. So yeah. essentially, his origin story is Waco happens and basically the United States government you know kills a bunch of kids right. Like Waco is is Ruby Ridge and Waco are complicated. It doesn't mean the people involved are good people, but like you know like. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, who's the, who's the Waco guy? Absolutely a child rapist, right? But also 
probably did not deserve to burn to death, yeah. even though I'm pretty sure he shot himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lou making a, a, a face because she, well, Lou is from Oklahoma, but um, true. Oh my god, I didn't think about yeah, that. Yeah. Also, she would have been, you know, no offense, Lou, but you, she would have been like older to really process like what was happening there, right? Like, I kind of <laughs> didn't understand it was when it was happening. But anyway, John Ronson has made this podcast on Audible. It's an Audible original. Um, it's like six episodes. You can go listen to the whole thing right now. Called the Debutante, which is about this woman carol Howe, i think is her name um who she faked being a billionaire is that right no so oh okay never mind i'm sorry yeah. i thought i, I was carol thinking, Howe's no, okay. parents were uh she was adopted but her adopted parents were very affluent and she was like no you're thinking of somebody else completely different so one of the conspiracy theories about the oklahoma city bombing is whether or not there was a second guy that helped him with it right um and carol Howe is this person who goes through a bunch of shit becomes a neo-Nazi, turns, becomes uh, becomes an informant uh, for the ATF, um, uh, uh, and it's the city of Elohim, I think. Um, it's like this like, big white supremacist Christian nationalist thing. Um, turns informant for the ATF, gets, like, kind of, like, goes out of her mind, gets deactivated. Um, maybe, like associates with a different white supremacist group um like turns around again and like then when she goes drug claims that she thought she was never deactivated because like they like the, the atf like basically washed their hands of her right and like she was apparently like terrified for her life and so like there's a whole bunch of nonsense there um uh but may like the conspiracy theory is that she maybe knew enough that if somebody had listened to her that the oklahoma city bombing could have been averted and there's a lot of there there there's a lot of there that isn't there i highly recommend listening to the series to get like the full picture right because john ronson goes through it very methodically digs up all the evidence there is this heartbreaking story where this woman who is the grandmother of two so um two of the kids uh who were killed um so part of the tragedy of the oklahoma city body not not that it was you know not a tragedy of any stretch of the imagination but like there was a daycare on the second floor and all the kids there died right um and um, one of the grandmothers of the of two of the two of these boys that were killed um, is like fury, like basically is like wants to make sure that everybody who was involved gets punished. And so there's a story about this associate that no person number two who nobody can figure out who it is. Um, so they go through things and like maybe it's a person associated with this um, uh, this city of Elohim. Um, maybe it's not, maybe, and, like, maybe it's got something to do with Carol Howe, and it's all kind of mixed up, and, you know, how much of this is, like, no one listened to her because she was, like, a shrill, crazy woman, right? Like, how much of, how much is she just a crazy person? How much is she, she a liar? How much are any of the people involved? Like, there is, uh, uh, what's his name? Andro, Andy the German is the guy's name. He's, like, this German dude who, like, is involved, might, might, may have been tangentially uh, tangentially associated with Timothy McVeigh um, or Tim Tuttle is just like one of his aliases manages to just like kind of leave the country without anybody um, uh, stopping him and like maybe he's associated with like a German politician but it turns out that that German politician isn't very prominent it just kind of like like does, isn't really a there there but like you know especially like back before you can just kind of like google things right like you know it's like, oh, I heard he's related to a German politician. Was he an informant that, like, you know, 
um, you know, basically like was evacuated to keep from embarrassing the FBI and the ATF. Probably not, but like John Ronson does the does the legwork of going through everything. He manages to get his hands on like previously unreleased like recordings of answering machines, um, stuff where this woman was interacting with like this crazy dude who's like the head of this white supremacist church. Um, and like, you know, they ran in kind of the same circles as Timothy McVeigh, but how much the action intersected is kind of like up in the air. Um, but I highly recommend it. It is, it was a ride. I listened to the whole thing today, actually. Right. Like I was listening to, he like went on a podcast that I listened to, um, to talk about it. And the person's like, stop, stop, stop this podcast and go listen to it. It's like, okay, I got the time. I'll go do that. Um, mm. I was in the podcast two times speed. So it was like an hour and a half. <coughs> um, totally worth it. Totally entrancing. Um, I don't know if you need an Audible I, subscription to listen to it, but I would recommend it if, if you... I do, I, do, I do have an Audible subscription. I've been listening to Conflicted. Do you know the book Conflict is Not Abuse? No, I'm, I'm not. Uh, Conflict is Not Abuse is a wildly important book, in my opinion, to understanding most of current, like, culture war shit, right? Because it basically talks about how... Everyone thinks they're, you know, you know, everybody says this. Everybody thinks that they're the good guy, right? right? Everybody thinks that they're, um, that they're, you know, kind of the hero of their own story or whatever. But it talks about how the thing that creates bullies is overstatement of harm, right? Yeah. And the way people will, you know, so for instance, a white supremacist, the way a white supremacist is sort of born, right, um, is, uh, <coughs> is, they they feel like an anxiety or or an insecurity, and the thing that relieves them of that, right, um, is outwardly projecting and being aggressive towards kind of other people, right. The book talks about the way in which you know, uh, like, it's not it's not. They're not chanting white power at Charlottesville. They're chanting. Jews will not will not replace us, right? It is this defensive posture, right? It's this thing of we are being attacked and we need to fight back because there's this intrinsic sort of human thing about if I'm attacked, I am allowed to defend myself, right? But I can't just go out. I can't. I can't attack somebody else, right? I have to. I have to make them out to be abusive, essentially. Um, and I don't know. It's just, it's popped up a bunch. It, it pops up a bunch because people talk about it. Um, you know, uh, like it, it it popped up in ContraPoints videos. It's popped up in a couple of like Destiny streams recently. Um, it's popped up in uh, the way people talk about kind of like you know, oh, the left is eating itself, right? Like people making why I left the left videos, right? Because someone who is nominally a you know like a part of the online left gets canceled or something kind of along those lines, even though that all, all this stuff is sort of like dumb and not real or whatever, but it basically understands, it basically explains and understands that phenomenon of how does a, you know, person with 70 followers on Twitter, right. Get under the skin <coughs> of the JK Rowling's of the world, right. Um, of, YouTubers and streamers, right? And how does it motivate their thoughts? Because they internalize this conflict, right, as abuse, and it creates trauma inside of them, and it and it completely warps their ability to interact with the world because they are essentially deluded into the power 
of, you know, whoever it is that they have chosen to fight against, right? Um, anyway, that's what I've been listening to, and it's also a trip. Yeah, so if when you're done with that, I would recommend The Revolt of the Public by Martin Gurry, uh, which is kind of a lot about the same stuff, but it's, like, more specifically focused on the kind of, like, the youth movements that kind of just, like, are brimming with energy and, like, tearing stuff down, but, like, don't really have a goal to build stuff up. Um, that's another kind of book that kind of, like, runs in those kinds of... Uh, stuff circle stuff i need to re-listen to that too because i have that in audible as well um but i will i will maybe yeah i have like a million things on audible i mean i don't know like the authoritarians was a big one i i listened to it did you do that do you know that one no i'm not familiar oh that one's a trip i don't know you would probably hate it because um i i don't know maybe you wouldn't hate it the authoritarians is an academic um who basically does a bunch of sociological research onto uh sort of (laughs) kind of (coughs) far-right people and how far-right people engage in uh politics and how they and how they they work um uh it's written by a guy whose name i don't even fucking remember uh bob altermeyer is is like the guy um but it basically is just it is a commonly cited thing for liberals and it is a commonly derided thing for uh conservatives but it is also a like it's also scientific right and there's this question of okay is this real science which is what you know someone who is a defender of the book would say this is this is real science really getting in deep and understanding the psychology um and the sociology of conservative movements that are you know building towards uh whatever um and there is the question of, is it like, uh, what's the guy, Peter, Peter Bogassian or whatever? Oh, the guy who the tricked so-called the... so-called squared? Yeah, yeah. You know, he tricked all of these academic journals into taking bullshit papers or whatever because he kind of revealed that nobody really actually read the fine print. Yeah. They just kind of rubber-stamped bullshit. Um, it's like, what, is this, is this a, a version of that, right? Um, I would obviously say it isn't. But I thought it was super interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of that stuff comes down to also, like, methodology, right? Like, I was reading about, like, a study that was, like, um, (coughs) you know, (coughs) that thought that, like, maybe, like, the the, the report, the report purported to claim that, like, right-wing people were more subservient to authority because when you ask them, like, it was, like, the question that they asked was, like, if you were cast in a play with your father and you had to cut your father, would you do it? Right. And the right wing people were more likely to say that they wouldn't. And it's like, that feels like a stretch to extrapolate from that response that they are more, you know, subservient to authority. Right. Um, and you know, so, so like socio uh, sociology is just like, what I've heard described is like interesting, but like less rigorous than people want to imagine it to be just like as a, as a science, right? Like, you know, the big book in the sociology space is Robert Putnam's bowling alone. Right. Um, yep. And it, like, fails to, like, even, like, kind of explore, and to, to be fair to what it came out, I think, in the 90s, like, fails to, you know, how we've replaced third places with, like, online communities, right? Like, you know, that's filling a lot of the third Yep, it's a 1995 book. Yeah. And so, like, you know, that book's about the death of third places, right? Like, you know, death of, like, the bowling alone is, like, your, the, the titular bowling alone is bowling clubs, churches, um, other inter- intermediate civic institutions, I believe is the formal term for it. Um, but... You know, at least like for you and me, we was 
place that a lot with like our Discord servers, right? Like, you know. Yep. Um, up to yeah, I mean, I would say I'm very connect. I'm more connected to my third community, right, than your first or second community. Your first community is your family. I've, I'm more connected to my third community, my first community, right? In terms of who I spend most of my time, you know, money and power with. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, yeah, no, I, I understand that. I've, another streamer that's, that's around, have I ever told you about Not So Erudite? Do you know Erudite? I'm not now. She's just, she's just another streamer, but she's, um, she's not a psychologist. She has like a weird, she's like a psycho, psychometrician or something, but basically like a psychologist, right? And one of her big things is, you know, talking about, uh, papers and methodology and how stuff works, um, because, uh, you know, coming at it from a non-academic perspective, you lose a lot of those sort of like details in the weeds. Um, she, she hates like these like red pill idiots or whatever. So she makes lots of kind of academically rigorous counter arguments to that community and, and movement or whatever. Um, but that, that's one of her big things, right, is that, you know, methodology matters a lot and the way that people, uh, you know, target some of these papers and studies and, and their research um, can just kind of be flawed on the outset just because they're kind of asking the wrong questions. Um, you know, like she when she talks about these red pill guys, she actually there is an underrepresentation of men in these sorts of things. And, um, and she talks about how, like, because the field itself is dominated by women um, and they have there's a lot of sort of internal bias towards the way that questions are asked about men, um, they produce really skewed and kind of damning results about men that are like bad. Right. That, that, that are bad science in a way. Um, and how that bad science then leads to bad social movements because these these red pill dinguses sort of pick up on this shit, right, and carry it to their extremes, which are, you know, bad, bad. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just no, I bad. mean, like you know, what's like the replication crisis is a thing, right? Like the Stanford prison experiment, the famous Stanford prison experiment probably doesn't replicate. Oh, right. Yeah, that. Yeah, I was. I I did a deep dive on that. Uh, like four or five years ago or whatever um that was crazy blew my mind because somebody told me that and i didn't believe them i was like are you kidding everybody talks about this thing he was like yeah it is not real and no one like it is not like actual psychology yeah, strong science and i went point. and i looked into yeah. it and yeah yeah no i mean you know that's i mean that, that's i mean that's the problem right it's like it's hard like there's not enough incentive to replicate findings and so like Thing, it takes a while to figure out that things don't replicate, right? Like power stancing was a big one, right? Like there's a lot of like, you know, so power stancing. power stancing is the idea that like if you stand in certain ways, it will like subconsciously affect the way that you think and behave. And so oh my can... God. I want you to know that the first thing that came up is Elden Ring, how to power <laughs> stance weapons. <laughs> Dark Souls 2, the power stance is a player ability. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. No, but it's kind of like how like the way you hold yourself can can subconsciously influence <coughs> how you feel about things, and also influence other people, right? Like, um, oh yeah, like I, oh, there's a a guy who I met actually because I went to an event um, where he was speaking, and he is like he's like a, he's a researcher on lying, right? And um, and his thing is that anyone who tells you they can understand when someone is lying and tell the truth 
is lying, right? Because you can't, you know? And he has run hundreds of these experiments to try and discern what are things we can, you know, you can do to understand when people when people are lying, people are telling the truth, what are what are the kinds of tells that they have? And all of his research is basically saying nothing. There's nothing. You can't tell. It is impossible. And mostly at this point, he is debunking sort of bad, you know, like self-help books or whatever um, that purport that they can tell you how to, like, influence or or understand when somebody is lying to you because that's just not a thing they can't do that yeah no i mean so this is actually super because this will bring me back to the other podcast recommendation i had which is um world's greatest con which is on their third season and it's about two kids who basically like you know who yuri geller is the guy who uh no the guy who can bend spoons with his mind i geller yeah Oh, Yuri Geller. He can influence people with his mind? No, no, no. He can bend spoons with his mind. And he can't. But, like, like that's, like, the thing, right? Like, he, like, went on Johnny Carson in, like, the 60s. And, like, Johnny Carson made sure he couldn't, like, mess with this stuff. And he failed to, like, bend spoons for, like, half an hour. And Johnny's... Oh, I do know who you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, basically, <coughs> in, like, to be... The, the, you know, the men who stare at goats was reminding me of this, right? Um, because um, in, like, that time period, right, this is directly before the men who stare at goats, um, there's a lot of government funding for, like, figuring out if, like, psychic stuff is real. But this field is full of a lot of true, true believers, right? Um, do you know who James the Amazing Randy is? Yeah, he's the guy that, just, like, debunks all these people, right? Yeah, he, he, he's a magician-turned-skeptic. Yeah. And so the world's greatest con in this case is these two kids who are, like, connected – by James Randi, like, basically go to this research institute and fool them for, like, a period of, I think it's, like, like a couple of years, right? Like, they just, like, like on the spot are figuring out ways to, like, imply that they have psychic powers, and they don't. And, like, they come out at a conference, and, like, like, like how do you do it? Well, to be honest, we lied. Um, or we or something like that, right? Like, they, they basically, like, totally destroy this like entire endeavor right by being like we we all these results that that this lab has been reporting as were scientifically rigorous were, were faked by us right um and it's about the fallout around all of that and like how they're involved with it and like the different personalities involved and how like basically after a while they're like these people are like their friends and they feel bad they're like basically deceiving them they're going to ruin their entire lives right like um, um and james the amazing randy is involved and uh you know a bunch of stuff and Basically, part of this is, like, after this happens, right, um, uh, what it, uh, after this happens is, like, when, like, the CIA is, like, uh, we weren't associated with this at all because this is what they're doing, like, the men who stares at Goku stuff. And they continue to do it because, like, you know, they need to know if, like, there's a thing that they could potentially, like, you know, it's the Cold War, right? Like, if the Russians can find people with ESP, we need to find them first, right? Like, type of deal. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a huge thing. Uh, I think there's a video about this. Super Eyepatch Wolf has a video on this where it's, like, uh, people who can knock, like, knock other people out without touching them by, like, managing their chi or whatever. Um, it's, like, like, like fake martial arts, basically. Right, yeah, right? yeah. Um, and the idea is that, like, oh, if you're this master of kung fu or whatever it is, right, you can you can knock someone to, to the ground without even touching them, right? Um, and there is a an MMA fighter in China who 
um, challenges these guys to fights. And he just beats their asses, right? Uh, but the Chinese government doesn't like him because he's sort of, uh, he's like, atta he's essentially attacking these Chinese martial arts traditions, right? By essentially insisting that, like, modern fighting techniques are better than, like, ancient ones or whatever. And so there's all of this, like, censorship and, and stuff around him. Uh, this, you know, this skeptic guy who's who's beating these, like, uh, God, now I gotta find this video because we, we should put it in the show notes. Um yeah, I, I will try to remember this, this, to, to link all of these like, things, but yeah. Um, <coughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, anyway. I we have gone on so much longer. Yeah. It's hard to about so much random ass shit. Yeah, um, at the end of the podcast. We, <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to reach out to us about any of the stuff we talked about on this podcast, you can reach us at games at gmail.com. So, Podcast at subdursplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subdursplaygames or youtube.com slash at subdursplaygames where these go out live. Um, uh, uh, that's everything I have, buddy. You have anything you're going to promote? Uh, besides my very good friend, Zoetti, which is out now, and you can play it, and you can be one of the i have it's funny because i have a bunch of these achievements i so because i played 60 hours of zoetti i have leveled up the final character nicara the mage to uh level 10 and 0.1 percent of players have this achievement i think that might just be me to be fair um and uh <laughs> but yeah i don't know uh, i'm pretty i'm pretty excited that the game that the game is out people people can play it even though uh it is uh Definitely pretty difficult. I was surprised that people were having as much trouble with it on launch uh, as they have been. Uh, yeah. But that's a, that's, a, that's a tease. We'll do that. Yeah. We'll do that no, next I, week, I, I guess. will say things. Actually, I've got a question for you. I got sure. an me. accessory that told me I could sell things for 250% of what I normally can. How do I fucking sell things? Uh, I'm sorry. That is a localization typo. It means those things are 250% more expensive, I'm pretty sure. If it's the accessory I'm thinking of, hold on. You know what? I can look it up. Because I'm pretty sure that accessory says <coughs> something like, um, it's like card draw plus one. It has some other effect, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's yeah, hand the, size plus one, I think. Yeah, okay. So the hand size is the upside. The downside is, uh, God, man, I am never going to be able to. There's 279 accessories in this fucking game. Um, the downside okay. of that accessory is that things are more expensive in this in the shop, right? Um, so the next time you go to a shop, uh, you will... Uh, okay, because most accessories don't be, have downsides. Um, that's true, yeah. There are some... There are obviously cursed ones. I don't know if you've yeah, seen yeah. cursed items yet. I've, I've also um, had, like, the I got the one that's, like, the soul candle. It's, like, draw 13. Um, uh, oh! Oh, I almost won the game with that once, but I fucking, I fucking died. I actually, so the thing I, I'm pretty sure you can do with that, that one, is there are invincibility potions, like a, a scroll of invincibility, oh, yeah, right, yeah. that will keep you alive. Um, and I mistimed it. I thought I was about to do a shuffle, um, but I fucked, I fucked it up. Um, and so, uh, I died. <laughs> I was really mad so I, I won that run. I didn't, I also didn't realize, I didn't need it. I didn't realize that it didn't increase hand size as well. But like, I was basically playing a build where I like pumped up my defensive performance and got armor master and then just like oh. pumped defense, pumped armor with singles and then used like the, the mini flush shield bash one. Um, I just like did like oh, stupid amounts I, of damage. That is my, you have discovered, did you get tactical guard? 
the two pair, uh, and it gives you four armor three times. And and, and, and if you upgrade enough permanent defense performance, yeah, that and the full house oh. one that gives you armor master. Like, yeah. I, okay, so there's another full house one that I actually like better for that build. Well, we could talk about, it, but I I just wanted to gush about this. I love that. That is my favorite thing in Zoetti. Rachel, I was talking to Rachel about it. Um, and even though I think Alvis might be my favorite character, um, in terms of, you know, like all of the, <coughs> all of the different ways, she was like, she was like, I feel like Valentina is more your character, and Alvis is more my character. Alvis is like an assassin. He's a rogue, right? Valentina is like a, is like a, a knight or whatever. And that armor build is so fun. I could play that armor build every game, basically, because I just like I don't know, just like it is very number go up, um, and uh, it's I don't know, it's just so satisfying uh, to like pump yourself to two hundred armor and then bash them for like a gazillion damage. Yeah, no, that's fair. God. I will never fucking find this this item. There are so many items in this in this stupid game. Can you not like control F for two fifty or something? Uh there's not a there's not a find I'm just literally in the index, oh, okay. right? Like the the game has an index. Um but it is not searchable. Though I bet actually I probably do have access to like some spreadsheet somewhere that would like give me. I, I don't need you to re re reveal secrets on on streamers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, reveal secrets to my secret Discord server, and then like yeah. get arrested by the FBI or whatever. Yeah, you're to your third place, right? Uh. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure what that means. To, what that means to say is that items are more expensive. Okay. Uh, because if I remember correctly, it is a it's like a common or it's like a rare accessory, and typically those accessories, you know, you don't get hand size out of that. You don't get card draw okay. out of that. Um, but when you do, you do it with like a like a like a small downside. Because there's some other ones, right? Like there's one that's um, your hand size goes up, but your card draw goes down. Um, it's stuff like that, right? Uh, that's kind of like a like a like a give and take. Fair enough. All right, well, we've managed to even extend the end part of this way past when it should be. So I'm going to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>